Hi everyone, Greg here with another week of reviews on See It or Shove It. Each week I give you my opinion on the latest film releases, and if they're good, I'll tell you to see it. If they aren't good, well, I'll tell you to shove it. Also this week, Binge It or Singe It returns with a look at the popular Netflix series The Watcher. But before we get started, it's been a while since I've given an update on my movie-watching goal for 2022. For those of you new to the podcast, each year I try to outdo myself for my previous movie-watching record. My goal this year is to watch 264 movies, with at least 149 of those being seen in the theaters. When I last updated you in September, I had watched 185 films, of which 109 were seen in the theater, and now my totals are 222 films overall, with 133 being seen as they should be in the theater on a big screen. I'm chugging my way along to my goal, and I'll give you another update next month as we enter the home stretch. Now, let's get started. New movies this week include Elizabeth Banks and Sigourney Weaver taking reproductive matters into their own hands in Call Jane. A tormented nun finds herself face-to-face with Satan in Pray for the Devil. Oscar winners Jessica Chastain and Eddie Redmayne harbor secrets in The Good Nurse. And Charlize Theron and Carrie Washington enroll in The School for Good and Evil. First up, in 1968, the world existed before the landmark Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision, and women were forced to find ways to terminate their pregnancies. Pregnant housewife Joy is one of these women looking for help. This is Call Jane. Mrs. Griffin, your pregnancy is endangering your life. Mom! What's the treatment? To not be pregnant. That's the only option. We could ask the board for permission to perform an emergency termination. Is there a chance that she can survive the pregnancy? Maybe 50%? Resulting in the birth of a healthy child. I'm here. I'm, I'm right here. I vote no, gentlemen. No. 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 This is Jane. How does it work? Elizabeth Banks stars as Joy, the dutiful housewife of Will, played by Chris Messina. They are expecting their second child, and throughout the pregnancy, Joy feels that something is off. After a visit to the doctor, they find out that she has developed congestive heart failure, and the only way to solve the problem would be to terminate the pregnancy. Without it, her chances of survival are 50-50. However, to get the procedure, they need approval from an all-male hospital board who votes unanimously against the procedure. This is devastating for the couple. Joy becomes desperate to terminate her pregnancy, going as far as considering throwing herself down a flight of stairs and getting a back-alley abortion. One day, she sees a flyer taped to a bus stop that says, Pregnant? Need help? Call Jane. So, after calling, she discovers the Jane Collective, an organization of women in Chicago that was formed to provide safe abortions. It is soon... When Joy gets the help she needs and begins a life of advocacy for women in need. I give this film a... See it! Putting aside the timeliness of this film, directed exquisitely by Phyllis Nagy, this is a captivating look at a moment in time where desperate measures were being taken by women all across the country. 
The character arc Banks's joy takes from judgment to compassion is extraordinary. This is the first time I've seen Banks in a dramatic role, and she is great. Also terrific is three-time Oscar nominee Sigourney Weaver, who plays the leader of the Jane Collective. It's been quite a while since seeing her in a role this well-rounded. Her recent The Good House came close, but this role was suited to all of her strengths. The film handles its graphic material with class and empathy, and nothing is done heavy-handedly. With the country heading in the direction of returning to times like this, this film should offer a stark warning as you go out to vote next week. Next, a young nun becomes involved in an exorcism of a young girl. This is Pray for the Devil. When you enter the room of the possessed, you are walking onto a battlefield. Strike terror, Lord, into the beast, now defiling this innocent child. I can't hear you. No! The film opens with a young girl being tormented by her possessed mother. Flash forward to a now-grown Anne, played by Jacqueline Byers, who is now a nun in a Catholic school of exorcism. She becomes the first female student within the class after pleading to get in because she feels it is her calling, due in part to her history with her possessed mother. She is encouraged by both head instructor Father Raymond and Dr. Peters, played by Colin Salmon and Academy Award nominee Virginia Madsen. They both give her some leeway with the rules when Sister Anne befriends a new patient named Natalie, a 10-year-old whose family believes her to be possessed. Sister Anne also teams with a fellow student, Father Dante, played by 13 Reasons Why, Christian Navarro, who is concerned for his sister, who also seems to be possessed. Can Sister Anne and Father Dante learn how to do an exorcism in time to save both Natalie and his sister before the demons take control of their real target, which is Anne? I give this film a... Shove it. This film was a predictable mound of horror tropes. The performances were fine, but the writing was nothing you haven't seen before in movies like this, and the scares were all predictable, cheap jump thrills and could be seen coming from a mile away. Now, I know it's difficult, allegedly, in Hollywood to find quality work as you age, but how respectable actors like Madsen and the late Ben Cross in his final film before his death in 2020 got roped into this pile of dung is beyond me. I guess a paycheck is a paycheck. If you're looking for a scary movie to watch, choose the far superior smile over this crap. In 2003, a string of suspicious deaths at a hospital lead investigators to suspect a nurse as being behind them. This is the good nurse. He's been at nine hospitals. Nine. What do you mean? No, the hospital would have done something. You would think so. so. Yeah. Do you remember working with someone named Charlie Cullen? Yeah. There was a rumor about him. They found insulin in a dead guy's sailing bag. 
The film opens in 1996 when a patient in the ICU of a Pennsylvania hospital suddenly suffers a seizure and dies. Cut to seven years later, in 2003, and we meet single mother and night nurse Amy Loughran, played by Academy Award-winning actress Jessica Chastain. Amy works the night shift at Parkfield Memorial Hospital in New Jersey and is suffering from cardiomyopathy, but keeps this condition a secret to everyone for fear she would lose her job. She is soon introduced to Charles Cullen, played by Academy Award winner Eddie Redmayne. Cullen appears to be a mild-mannered and kind nurse who has just been hired on the same shift as Amy. Amy shares her condition with Charlie and explains that she needs to keep it a secret because she is four months away from getting health insurance from her employer. Charlie sympathetically helps Amy take care of her daughters and even swipes a few drugs to help ease her pain. Soon after Charlie's arrival, an elderly patient dies and the hospital's board follows protocol and contacts the state police to report the incident. Even though the board downplays the incident, the detectives become suspicious and begin interviewing the staff. When Amy is interviewed, she reviews the records and notices that insulin had been administered to the patient even though there was no need to have it done. The detectives begin to suspect Charlie as being behind the death when they discover an influx of incidents after his hiring. They attempt to contact his previous hospitals, none of which will discuss Charlie's employment. With more and more patients suddenly developing strange symptoms and seizures as a result of insulin administration, Amy begins to work with the police to try to link Charlie to the deaths. Can they catch him before more people die? I give this film a... See it. This film is based on a true story, and it is a slow burn throughout. Chastain, whom many of you know is one of my favorite actresses, and Redmayne are predictably fantastic in these roles, and they help get you invested in the story. I really enjoyed how the story played out emotionally, and it was a real nail-biter as you see Amy go from defending Charlie to facing the disappointment of realizing someone isn't who he appears to be. Had Chastain not won the Oscar this past year, she would be a contender for this understated emotional performance, and Redmayne is terrifically creepy in this role. He plays the role in a way that reminded me of Norman Bates from Psycho, calm, kind on the outside, and terrifyingly normal, although crazy stuff is going on in his head. The real Charlie is currently serving 18 consecutive life sentences and has admitted to 40 killings, but it is believed to be much, much more than that. The movie is currently on Netflix and is a must-watch. Also on Netflix is a fairy tale about two girls who are swept away to a mysterious school to protect the balance of good and evil. This is the school for good and evil. The school for good and evil, where the true story behind every great fairy tale begins. The school for good trains the heroes. The school for evil, the villains. You're trying to tell me that Snow White and Cinderella and Jack and the Beanstalk were real. Our graduates live the very real events, which become the stories. That change the world. 
Based on the book series of the same name, the film opens with a prologue that shows twin brothers Ryan and Raphael creating the school for good and evil, with the intention of creating fairy tale heroes called Evers and villains called Nevers. However, Raphael attacks Ryan using blood magic, and in defending himself, Ryan tosses his brother off a cliff. Flash forward many years later, best friends Sophie and Agatha learn about the school when they see the logo on a copy of Cinderella. Agatha is not impressed with the story, but Sophie loves fairy tales and leaves a note at a tree hoping to be recruited to attend the school. One night, Sophie tries to run away from the village and family that makes her life miserable, and Agatha tries to stop her. Both are then captured by a giant stymph, which brings them far away to the school for good and evil. Agatha is dropped at the school for good, and Sophie is dropped at the school for evil. Both girls insist they were at the wrong place. Agatha is desperate to return to her town, and Sophie wants to go to the school for good. However, in order for this to happen, Sophie has to prove she belongs there by finding true love's kiss. The two not only battle their classmates with whom they do not get along, but also the headmaster of the school, played by Oscar nominee Lawrence Fishburne, and the deans of the schools, School for Good's professor Clarissa Dovey, played by Kerry Washington, and dean of School for Evil, Lady Leonora Lesso, played by Oscar winner Charlize Theron. Will the girls be able to have their wishes granted, or are they doomed to spend the rest of their lives where they don't belong? I give this film a... Shove it. Okay, first of all, at 2 hours and 29 minutes, this one is going to get my wrath for being way too long, especially for a children's movie. If you've been listening for a while, you know I have a thing against excessively long movies. So, unless it is a prestige picture that is supported by a solid script and excellent editing, no film should be this long. You're on notice December releases Avatar 2 and Babylon, both of which are rumored to be well over three hours long. You're both on my radar. But back to this one. The story did not merit a film this long. If anything, it could have been made into a limited series and worked out much better than it did as a film, especially considering that the source material is a book series. Second of all, to me, the performances of Washington and Theron seem to be solely for them to have something to show their children, since most of their work is not kid-friendly. Um, I was not impressed with either, which is a shame, because I do generally enjoy both of them. The one thing this film has going for it are the special effects. There was a stretch during the final act of the film that was very engaging, but getting there was a chore. If this film interests you, or your children, you may want to turn it into your own limited series and watch it in segments. I cannot imagine a lot of children sitting for 150 minutes to watch this. The story just doesn't engage you all that often until the end. That's it for this week's featured films. To recap, Call Jane is in theaters now and is a see it. Pray for the Devil is in theaters now and is a shove it. The Good Nurse is streaming on Netflix now and is a see it and is my pick of the week. And The School for Good and Evil is streaming on Netflix now and is a shove it. 
And now it's time for my lightning round reviews in my segment called Quick Picks. This week is another one of those weeks where for Quick Picks, I give suggestions of the talent featured in our main reviews. My picks for the stars of Call Jane are, for Elizabeth Banks, you can't go wrong by binging the limited series Mrs. America about the creation of the Equal Rights Act. It also stars last week's featured actor, Kate Blanchett, and it is streaming on Hulu. For Sigourney Weaver, my favorite performance of hers was in the 1988 classic film Working Girl. She plays a deliciously bitchy boss to Melanie Griffith's secretary in this Oscar-winning film. It's a role not unlike Meryl Streep's Devil Wears Prada role. It's available on rental platforms. My picks for the stars of The Good Nurse are... While Jessica Chastain won her Oscar for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which incidentally can be seen on HBO Max, it was her role in the little-seen 2016 film Miss Sloan that had me riveted. She recently said it was her favorite role as well. It can be seen on demand via Spectrum if that is your cable provider, or rented via rental platforms. And Eddie Redmayne won an Oscar for his committed portrayal of Stephen Hawking in the 2014 drama The Theory of Everything. It is available on rental platforms as well. And for my picks for the stars of The School of Good and Evil, Charlize Theron won her Oscar for her stunning transformation as serial killer Eileen Warnos in Monster, which is available on Netflix. However, my favorite film of hers is her Oscar-nominated role as Megyn Kelly in the true story Bombshell, which tells the story of the harassment of women at Fox News. It is available on Peacock. And Carrie Washington was great as Anita Hill in the HBO film Confirmation, which is available on HBO Max. Now let's move on to the latest edition of Binge It or Singe It. In 2014, a family bought a beautiful home in Westfield, New Jersey. Soon after, they began receiving threatening letters telling them they were being watched by a mysterious stranger. This is Netflix's The Watcher. That if somebody terrorizes us, we just run? Very loosely based on the 2018 New York Magazine article, this series stars Emmy winner Bobby Cannavale and Oscar nominee Naomi Watts as the couple tormented by a stranger. Dean and Nora Braddock purchase a beautiful mansion just outside of New York City. It is soon after they move that they begin receiving anonymous letters from a person saying they are being watched and that their house may be haunted. It would normally be easy to shrug off the letters were it not for the fact that they contain personal information about the couple's children, as well as specifics about their daily lives. Adding to the intrigue are their very eccentric neighbors, including Mitch and Moe, played by Richard Kind, and Margot Martindale, with whom they have a very tense relationship, and local historian Pearl Winslow, played by Mia Farrow, and her intellectually disabled brother, played by Terry Kinney, who repeatedly shows up in the Braddock's house uninvited. 
With no help from the local police detective, played by Christopher MacDonald, or from the realtor who sold them the house, played by recent Emmy winner Jennifer Coolidge, the couple is forced to take matters into their own hands as they try to find out who is stalking them. Eventually, it begins to consume Dean, who spirals out of control to the point where he becomes a suspect in the stalking plot. This series started off really well for an episode or two, and then along with Dean, it spiraled out of control, losing all plausibility. This comes from Ryan Murphy, who's in charge of the American Horror Stories series, and I find those series do the exact same thing, start off strong and then peter out at the end. With each passing episode, it got more and more batshit crazy, and not in a good way. I was hoping for a nice spooky mystery, but what I got bordered on satire in my opinion. If you remember, a few weeks ago while reviewing the film Goodnight Mommy, I made a case for Naomi Watts to find a new agent, and this series does her no favors either. I couldn't wait for this to end. Therefore, I rate this as a singet. If you want to watch a spooky series about a house, I instead recommend Netflix's The Haunting of Hill House. So this concludes our episode. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen. I'm very grateful. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed this month. And while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV-loving friends and family. I appreciate all of your support. Now, a programming note. I have recorded a special trailer talk edition of Theater Shove It, where I give my predictions for all of the biggest releases scheduled for November. I will be releasing that in the next day or two. So come back and give that a listen to give yourself an idea of the most anticipated films of November. And also come back next week for my thoughts on the latest movies, including Anthony Hopkins, Anne Hathaway and Jeremy Strong in Armageddon Time, and Colin Farrell in The Banshees of Sharon. Follow me on Instagram at BrewstersDad73 and rate me wherever you get your podcast. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll catch you next time. This episode of See It or Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida, and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved.